Beautiful Friday. Yeah. I'm um, Duna Rex. That's the dude, Rex. Oh. And uh, it's Charles Gracie with Hot Seat Services today. How many cats have you eaten, Charles? Uh, just a little, several on the way here. A couple in the parking lot. You bring <laughs> that smoke with you, too? Yeah. <laughs> We're getting ready for Halloween over here. It's our big Halloween episode. It's a very What the Truck Halloween. We're going to have NASA on. We're going to find out about their giant inflatable, maybe a bit like ours, right? How it's going to land people on Mars, Michael Vincent, where you have Uber Freight on. They're going to be talking about procurement. We got Alf over here. He's going to be talking about, I don't know, Halloween displays, getting a trucking job in a bad market, and all sorts of stuff. But the freight community is already celebrating Halloween. Let's see what's going on over at Blue Grace. Hey, yo, Andy's coming! Thank you, uh, Mike Beckwith and the team over at Blue Grace for sending that over to us. That was pretty freaking awesome. I loved it. You know what that reminded me of a little bit? I don't know if you guys saw that one where the truck backs up and it's got Woody on the back and it drops the hat down. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, classic move. Anyways, let's tip the band before we get into things. Fleets today cannot waste time waiting for fully driverless technology. Locomation's autonomous relay convoy systems are safe, legal, and profitable, with no federal regulations holding them back. Join Locomation for the fastest path to commercial automation and deployment at scale across the U.S. To learn more, tell them, dude. Hey, visit locomation.ai forward slash no barriers immediately after this show. What's up, Charles, man? You did an awesome job with your house. Before we get into things with you, why don't you rate these decorations for us? Let's see how this trucker did. We were parked in Denver for the night, so I decided to show you my Halloween decorations. You've already seen this guy on the back of the truck, and we added our bat to the front. We also have this little skeleton that looks out the passenger window, and I crocheted a bunch of these little ghosts to make a garland. I put these little paper bats up on the cabinet and hung up Halloween curtains in front of our normal ones. And there's our bed set up. I got this cute Halloween banner from Home Goods, and I made the case for the body pillow from fabric I found at Joanne's. And I crocheted this little ghost last year. He lives there year-round, but he fits with the theme. And here's Zero from Nightmare Before Christmas. And I love this little ghost lantern because it looks like a real flame in there. And we have this giant spider guarding our big cabinet. We even decorated the microwave. Since we were parked for the night, and that doesn't happen too often, we decided to get DoorDash. We got BJ's Brewhouse. We ordered pasta and avocado egg rolls and pot stickers, and it was all really good. Then we watched the last episode of House of the Dragon. I'm not too sure about this season. Let me know what you think if you've been watching. Wow. wow. I thought that was great. What did you think, Charles? You know, I like it. Halloween's one of my favorite times of the year, so I love it when people get into it. I love it when they enjoy it. 
uh, kind of have a little fun with it, take it outside. Did you see that one up north with the uh, Stranger Things and the suspended character? Oh, yes. Yeah. That, was, that was incredible. I really love that one. You, now, you moved out to Chattanooga recently. You did, uh, you've been on the show. You told us, you know, you had a great deal that you made with, um, with the CDL Life Group, right? Yeah, and you just got a house down here. You made a big display. And I got to ask you, what is the key to making a really awesome, badass Halloween display? You know, I think it's uh, just having fun with it and sticking with the theme. So we went with the slash traditional slashers theme. Had Chucky, Freddy, Jason, Michael Myers, uh, Pennywise, and just uh, lots of fog and lighting. Now, I like Halloween as much as the next guy, but let us know if you think this decoration setup is a little too excessive. Play this tape. actually a person who jumped out that would be pretty freaky because by this time you're thinking well all these are just statues right i know it took me three weekends for mine so i'd imagine you got to start setting up for this around the fourth of july i would think so is it too to me that kind of looks like you know you're driving down the road and sometimes you go past those places that sell like the giant stone bigfoot and like giant stone that's what that kind of seems like it seems more like they're selling outdoor decorations than actually being a display I agree 100. percent lo- It looks like a like a Halloween store. Look how small Elf is here. Let me let me just taste this. Elf. Chuck, let me ask you stuff. something. It's been it's been a tough market, right? And we've covered that extensively on Freight Waves. What's been happening in trucking? And I know a lot of the community is getting nervous out there. So we're starting to refocus some of our segments on what the truck to focus on the challenges that the freight community are facing. Right. Today, we're going to focus a little bit on the drivers with you quickly over here. In terms of recruiting and the market for what you guys do, what's happening right now and what should uh, drivers be thinking about? Well, drivers need to be doing their research on companies. A lot of companies have unsustainable long-term pay packages to try to remain competitive. So do your research. Make sure that they're not just running off spot market. Make sure they have a customer base, that there's consistent miles. We're going into the holiday season, so no one really wants to be making a bad job move before going into holidays. So do your research. Make sure the company's values align with your values. And uh, just overall, tell them what you want. Be straightforward and make sure they give you the answers that you're looking for. Yeah, so Charles, you know, you had a lot of people jump ship from the big uh, enterprise into their own operations. And now... Things aren't so, quite so great. Are there plenty of jobs out there for them to go move into if they need to? Oh, yeah. There's absolutely a lot of jobs out there for drivers. I think at times that there's it's so overwhelming with how many jobs are available to these guys. Uh, so if you're a driver and you're looking at a job, make sure that you're laying out your expectations. Make sure that you're asking them all the questions. And uh, look around. You know, do your research. Don't just depend on looking at Craigslist or Indeed. Go to CDLLife.com. Go to Hot Seat Services. Use vendors. Uh, the agencies are a great tool to use because any agency or third-party recruiter has access to all the different offers, and they have no dog in the fight. They'll tell you the good and bad about each offer to align it with your interests. What would you say now? And, and, and to wit on like one of the things that I've been hearing a lot is the drivers who get, are getting nervous, like Michael Vincent mentioned, they moved over, they went solo and yeah. they're, the numbers that they're getting aren't adding up. And a lot of guys online are sharing this and they're, they're saying like, you know, my cut per mile is nothing or I'm starting to have to cut employees. 
should that driver be jumping back into the mega carrier tent and really consider that to shelter yourself through the storm? I mean, there's the security that comes with working with some of the bigger box carriers. Uh, there's also a lot of good carriers that are medium-sized, small-sized that got niche markets they work within. So uh, you're seeing a lot of dedicated uh, lanes, a lot of home weekly lanes out there, a lot of carriers trying to manipulate their lanes to get the drivers home more consistently. They're doing everything in their power to make this job appealing and bring in new talent and also retain the talent. Uh, but it comes down to drivers being very transparent, you know. Um, the big thing that the industry is seeing right now is just the whole ghosting effect. Instead of people just saying, hey, this isn't for me, they just don't want to reject the offer, and they just stop answering the phone. Ooh, you mentioned the word ghosting. <laughs> Ooh, Michael Vincent, do you have a spooky freight ghost story for us? I'll tell you what else is really, really, really exciting about the career of being a trucker. You see many, many things along the road. Have you ever seen or heard of the shoulder walkers? Uh, Some truckers ooh. call them the moon walkers or the shadow walkers in the Pacific Northwest. Have you heard of those? Uh, no. No, I have so not. Bagheera, not. Bagheera has this story. Bagheera has this story. He uh, is a driver, most commonly runs Vancouver to San Francisco. It's an easy trip most of the time, but I've seen everything out there. UFOs, Bigfoot, the works, man, you name it, I've seen it. But one of the stuff that scared me the most, you see walking along the shoulder, the citizens walking along the shoulder, a civilization known as the shadow walkers or the shoulder walkers, moon walkers, if you will. One night driving along past an old lady walking along the, the side of the road. She was gray and decrepit and walking around the road. He had an uneasy feeling about what was going on. She was eerie looking and pale faced and, and just looked down in the dumps, reminded him of his old grandma. So he pulls over and gets his flashlight out. It's two o'clock in the morning. He can barely see he's waiting for her coming. He can hear the scraping of her shoes as they shuffle along the ground. And as she enters into his light, She's wearing an old hospital gown. She's gray and wrinkled and decrepit and looking along. Ma'am, are you okay? He calls. She just keeps getting closer. And he gets so scared that he falls over and collapses on the side of the road. She bends down with her bony fingers and grabs his ankle and drags him along the side of the road. This 90-pound frail skeleton of a woman dragging him along the ground. He kicks at her, but it's like kicking cement. It doesn't slow her down that she's pulling this 220-pound man across the gravel down the side of the road. Finally, she lets go of him and keeps walking. Half hour later, he gets in his cab and drives. She's still there watching him as he drives off. <laughs> Is that real? Is, that, is this like a real legend of the road? Yes. The Shadow Walkers are a real deal up there. They're known. Uh, on the, the guys who drive Vancouver to San Francisco on these dedicated runs actually refer to them as uh, shoulder walkers. Uh, they're people they see at night uh, just walking along the roads and look despondent. And they're just kind of walking around. This guy, Bagheera, claims that as far as he knows, he's been doing this for years. He's the first one to ever stop and trying to interact with one. Interesting. Mm. Well, hey, Alf, I want to thank you so much for stopping by the show. Before I go, drivers who are concerned right now, how do they get in touch with you if they want to either move from a different position into trucking or they want to switch what they're doing right now because the math isn't making sense? Yeah, no, certainly. They could reach out to us at info at hotseatservices.com or you can go to www.hotseatservices.com and fill out an application and one of our recruiters will get in touch with you. 
Thank you so much. Happy Halloween. I look forward to uh, seeing you next week, too, brother. Hey, happy Halloween. High five. Or tie two. Hey, let me uh, set that right there. High two. <laughs> Give me one more bite. Meanwhile. Look at this. What could be in there? Ooh, that is. Is that daddy. the shoulder walker? Uh, that, um, you know, it could be, but they're usually on the shoulder of a road. So they could be. Oh, yeah, that would yeah, make sense. Yeah, well, maybe they got a ride. Maybe they're hitchhiking. Well, I mean, this guy actually picked up a hitchhiker. He's need to re- he needs to report that. Well, let's give Roger Scheller the most interesting interview of his life. He's the director <laughs> of consulting over at Uber Freight, and I don't know if he's ever been interviewed by Tyrannosaurus Rexes before. Roger, thank you so much for coming on the show today. <laughs> Hey, thanks for having me. This is uh, definitely a first for me, but it's, it's an interesting one. <laughs> you, uh, you got any plans to dress up for Halloween this year? I, I didn't, but I think I might have to reconsider that now. I'm, I'm getting back into the spirit, I guess. There well, you go. You might have to procure a Halloween costume. Oh, I see Our what you did there. Today. Look, I'm, yeah. not, I'm not ashamed to throw a pun or two out there. How are, but let's talk about that. How are you running procurement right now? Like, what challenges and opportunities are you seeing in the market? And I ask this, too, because I was just covering a store, a story recently about all these inventory cuts that people were doing. And procurement, like, just on the inventory side is, raw, is tough, but also on the capacity side could be, too. So uh, give us some insight here. Yeah, so I think it's certainly a, a challenging time, but it's it's a better time now than maybe it was, say, 12 months ago, right? So we're starting to see freight rates decline. We're starting to see capacity, you know, expand or at least stabilize. And I think from a procurement perspective, you know, the, the events we're seeing from a shipper perspective, they are uh, more favorable costs, better care, participation, but there's still a ton of challenges. So if I'm a, a shipper and a procurement person, you know, my senior leadership and C-suite are seeing, you know, published reports of rate declines, and so they're expecting a lot of savings. My customers haven't gotten any less demanding in terms of service expectations. My carriers are dealing with some increased cost and network disruption. So, you know, while things have gotten a little bit more stable from a procurement perspective, they certainly have not gotten any more simple. And so, you know, what we're seeing is, is a lot of companies focus on flexibility and agility and supporting that using automation, right? So we have a lot of folks that are looking at you know, do I, where do I use market-based access tools? Where do I use spot markets strategically, not just for a backup rate? How do I leverage dedicated fleets where they make sense? And then, you know, there's still a great fit in a lot of places for an annual network level event, but you can supplement that with mini bids or, you know, strategic service level procurement events, things like that. So the, right now, a lot of the procurement events are about regaining stability and building flexibility for 2023. Yeah, so Roger, these uh, past two years or two million years, depending, seem to go so fast for us, uh, Tyrannosaurus Rex. The strategies, uh, what strategies and technologies can shippers really be embracing to better navigate these market conditions that are really coming at us like a meteor hurtling through space? Yeah, the, the speed of change and the degree of change is, is a challenge. And that's, we, we think the best strategies involve building an agile procurement system supported by automation. And, you know, when we say automation, we don't necessarily mean automating the whole process, but there's a lot of tools and systems out there that, that allow you to gather market information more seamlessly, allow your decision makers to take advantage of it, and then use that to find the right carrier fit. You know, for example, if I have a, a shipment in an unplanned lane, right, uh, automation for me might be uh, going to the spot market, getting a number of rates from carriers and having somebody on my team, you know, go through and, and make my carrier assignment decision based on that new market data. Another automated version would be a little more hands-off in that you could use something like an Uber Freight Market Access tool where you can provide the shipment, put some parameters in it, and let our AI processes secure capacity at market competitive rates. 
And so I think for shippers, the strategy is understanding you have a lot more options today in terms of procuring freight than you might have had you know, even 18 months ago or two years ago. And then making sure your teams have the tools to take advantage of that in an efficient way by leveraging a high quality TMS, leveraging carrier API integrations, leveraging more holistic kind of market access, market price solutions, uh, and then using that to supplement any network level or strategic level procurement activity you do. So can real-time data keep us from going extinct? Why is it so important to Uber Freight? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure what helped in your case, but certainly <laughs> if you want to make sure your shipments and your budget stay uh, stay somewhere in balance, you know, real, real-time freight, real-time information is key. You know, there's there's a lot more data available. Some of the challenges can be making sense of the most of it. And that's where, you know, a good TMS or a good partner uh, with good market access tools can help. But real-time data, because things are changing so quickly, you know, if you're basing your procurement decisions off of your network from three or six months ago where you had out-of-network shipments, you had poor carrier tender acceptance, and you were trying to find out carriers that serviced the region two months ago, they may not be the right partners for the next two weeks, just because of how things have changed. And so having real-time data is pretty critical. Having access to real-time market data you know, is, is really helpful to find the right cost and capacity solution. And, and a great example of where that really is important is mode conversions, right? If you had shipments that are in an intermodal lane that had to switch to truckload because of potential rail disruptions or mm. service issues or something like that, you know, do you want to make that truckload carrier decision based off of backup rates from an RFP six months ago, or do you want to base that off of real-time current market costs and capacity data that's available so you can find the right partner to handle those individual shipments? So, you know, history is great using historical data. It can really help you build a platform and build a structure, but for managing real-time execution, real-time market-based data, and real-time service data, it really helps you avoid some of those big, uh, big surprises that you don't see coming. Yeah, so Roger, you know, finally we start stop hearing all these little cliches and sayings that have become so annoying over the last few years during the pandemic. How are companies getting over the pandemic, or how can companies move beyond the pandemic mindset? Yeah, that, that's a really big topic for us, and something we're working with a number of shippers on right now. Right, so the last two years, everybody did what they had to do to cover freight. Right, they were calling cares, they were expanding use of. of new carriers and brokers, they were realigning shipments. So there's a lot of things that folks did over the last, say, two years that maybe you don't want to keep doing for the next two weeks or two months or two years. And so we find a lot of value and, and suggest to shippers that now's the time as some stability has returned to the market, it's a great time to take a, a brief pause, reassess your network, reassess your processes. And we've really been able to step in and help uh, a lot of companies understand what are the the pandemic sort of crisis processes that you put in place that were intended to be short term, but have now become just kind of how you operate. So identifying those you know, pandemic crisis practices that you want to try to undo, but when you undo them, make sure that you're developing them in a way that supports what we think is going to be a continued volatile environment. We don't necessarily see freight markets, as I mentioned earlier, they're getting somewhat stable, but they're certainly not simple. And so as you unwind some of your crisis and, and pandemic processes, you know, this is a great time to take an assessment of your entire operation, your supply chain, have a partner like us come in and take a look at your people and, and the processes and tools they use and, and flag where they might be doing things today that you'd rather not, and then make sure you can adapt those processes for the next several months. And we, we also find this is a great time. You know, a lot of folks that are managing some of these supply chains, they haven't been in some of those roles for a very long time. And so some of them may not understand 
what a non-crisis environment looks like. And so, you know, a partner like us, someone from the outside can bring in some history and experience, you know, across multiple market cycles to understand what are things that worked when you had a crisis that maybe you want to modify to move out of crisis response and into flexibility and agility. Well, hey, thank you so much. Thanks for coming on the show and sharing that insight with us. Anyone who wants more information, go check out Uber Freight. You have a happy Halloween, sir. Great. Thanks. You too. Right on. Happy Halloween. Elsewhere. those are pretty cool yeah those those are pretty good i like the truckers (laughs) keep sharing those videos with us drivers we appreciate it right on all right xbo is driven to put your freight first with coverage in 99 percent of u.s zip codes as well as key routes in mexico and canada xbo will help you get your shipments where they need to go on time and damage free all fine-tuned by over 35 years of world-class experience uh tell them tell them where to find more dude (laughs) i will do it go to ltl-solutions.xbo.com immediately after this show all right, let's give you a little intro video on what oh, yeah. we're about to talk about. Let's roll the tape. Yeah. Big thing that I'm not sure people appreciate is how large the lofted reentry vehicle is when it is fully deployed. It's like, you know, six meters or about approximately 20 feet in diameter. It's really large. You know, lofted will be the largest blunt body aeroship to ever go through an atmospheric reentry. Also, this high-end technology is scalable to perform both crude and large robotic missions from Mars. I'm Charlie Adams. I am the TDM mission manager for the Lofted Project. I have been involved with the Technology Demonstration Missions Program essentially since it started in 2012. Since NASA's inception in the late 50s, NASA has always relied heavily on rigid aeroshells to decelerate astronauts' vehicles and hardware. Lofted is advancing and extending the long history of this technology with a large inflatable aeroshell. And it opens the door for future missions to destinations of atmosphere such as Mars. Well, we know a little something about large uh, inflatable coverings, don't we? <laughs> Michael <laughs> yes, Vincent, we, we got NASA here joining us right now. We got two amazing guests for them. Elton, why don't you lead it off? Introduce yourself to us, sir. one of the uh, electronics engineers on the avionics team, and we're responsible for uh, most of the Im- instrumentation on the lofted vehicle. Yeah, it's super, it's super neat looking. Um, Ashley, what is your role with all this too? What do you do? Gosh, this, this is really exciting to, to be joining you guys here this morning. <laughs> I'm, I'm responsible for the aerodynamics of this vehicle. This, you know, we got to slow down from a couple thousand miles an hour, um, you know, down to a soft splash down in the Pacific. So aerodynamics are, are really important for how the vehicle does this. So that's kind of my role on this, on this effort. Well, you know, we're not the only ones who are in costume over here. Um, I saw earlier that there's actually a Halloween costume named after the loft. And I think we have a picture of it. I don't know if any of you have uh, made this one yet, but yeah, there it is. Have you guys tried that outfit on yet? I, ha- I have not made it. Um, I am really impressed with it though, but it, that's that's really what the the underlying structure of the system looks like. It's a bunch of wow. stacked toroids with straps, so it's it's a pretty good representation, and uh, it's perfect for this time of year. Ashley, are they actually pool noodles? They are. They are quite a bit more than than pool noodles. They're <laughs> a, a special polymer type material that is stronger than steel. 
Um, so the, this is not wow. an inflatable balloon, and this is not, these are not uh, not pool noodles, that's for sure. Now, Alton, I, I don't know if a lot of people knew about inflatables in space or their use in space. I know I sure didn't until this topic was brought up to me. Tell us a little bit about what an inflatable, like the lofted, uh, what, what its purpose is, what an inflatable does in space and how that works. Uh, so this particular uh, inflatable is going to be used for deceleration. Uh, for the most part, the the precursors to the lofted experiment have all been decelerators. Uh, and essentially, the technology is going to allow us to slow down a bigger, a larger mass than, than normal uh, conventional means. Um, in this situation, this is the largest iteration we've had. But as, as the video is showing there, it'll inf- it'll deploy, inflate, and then it'll allow us to uh, decelerate the reentry vehicle itself um, to a safe landing. Yeah. So, uh, so Elton, the follow up to that is you, you said it's a it's a larger mass. It, the, so the the parachutes of of the past that we've seen in the historical footage is that doesn't work for this type of thing. It is too too massive? Is that what it is? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, as you can see there, uh, one of the other considerations is the heat, right? Um, mm-hmm. In the video, it showed uh, the what what is consider what we call the heat shield. It is exactly what it says. It, it's designed to shield the vehicle from the heat, so a parachute also would not be able to withstand that. Um, but we use the drag uh, that the mass creates to slow the vehicle down um, upon reentry because it's gonna there's gonna be some some very high speeds, uh, close to I believe uh, 29 G's. Whoa. So, so, Ashley, does space change at all how, like, an inflatable works? Because, you know, the, pre- the pressure of the atmosphere is different. What considerations have to be put in when you're making something like this? Like, what materials are you using and what design elements go into it? Uh, so a lot of this is, is in testing, actually. So here on the ground, um, we did do a full, what we call a complete systems test. So the that inflatable that you see, it's fully packaged, but then we put it in a vacuum chamber and we pump it down. Uh, and then, you know, we go through the exact process that it's going to do when it's on orbit, uh, mm. which fires pyros, releases it, and then it begins to inflate. So the whole thing is inflated before it even starts to come into the atmosphere. Of course, there's no gravity in space, so it is it is a little bit different. But that's why we do, you know, testing on the ground that, you know, it's more rigorous. It's tougher. So if it works here, it's going to work up there. Yeah. So it's inflating with what specifically? What gas is it re- inflating with? Pretty sure it's nitrogen, Alton. Is oh, that right? Okay. That, that's correct. We use uh, gaseous okay. nitrogen. Gotcha. So it, this is being developed for not only just uh, Earth entry, but any planet or, uh, that we would have an atmosphere, right? So this is not for like the moon or anything like that. It's for like Mars, Earth, etc. Yeah, this is a drag device. You know, this is this is something that gives you a lot of surface area. Like if you stick your hand out the, the window of your car and you turn it flatwise and that force you feel against you, that's what we're trying to do here. Um, you already paid to launch this with you, so it's not costing you any more mass. You're not using rockets. You're not using anything like that. And you're going to take out, you know, almost 98 percent of, of the energy you show up with, say, for somewhere like Mars. You're going to do that using this decelerator here and you're going to do it in a really mass efficient way which is which is super important for us but you can take this anywhere that has an atmosphere mars you know venus earth return our partnership with ula here united launch alliance you know for them this is a this is a key technology for them to recover part of the the first stage of their their rocket yeah i've heard this is a a crucial component to 
Mars travel and and that mission is that, you know, for the decelerator, I think in a lot of people's heads, you know, because we watch so many movies, we have the idea of like a spaceship, it flies up. And then like by the time you get to Mars, it would be the technology over there that it could just land. But is it not quite like that? Or is this more used on equipment? Or would this one day be used on like, I don't know, civilian or scientific missions when we actually send people there? Alton, well, do you want to take that one? Be, or? Yeah, sorry. Um, I, I think it would be both, actually. Um, so the the idea, the initial assessment for this technology, especially on Earth here, is that we would be able to return um, equipment, uh, maybe, you know, boosters, things like that, things of, of great mass, as we've discussed, and also landing on Mars and, and other atmospheres that we want. We could use them for simply uh, experimental um, technology and we could use them to land people as well uh, because of again the mass is the biggest portion here uh, we the ability to land uh, with a simply a rigid structure like this instead of having to involve additional boosters or, or anything or thrusters to get us to land is a huge development yeah, so uh, Alton, further to, further to that, you mentioned you know you're going from thousands of miles or a thousand miles an hour uh, right down to a soft splash. Or I guess Ashley, you did. What is the what is the mm-hmm. deceleration rate there? You mentioned 29 G's, but what is the splashdown? What is a, what is considered a soft splashdown? What's what's the rate of speed there? So I'm not sure what we're going to splash down to um, on lofted. We are going to use a parachute here at Earth just to you know, to make sure we're stable because we want to recover um, the vehicle itself so that we can, you know, take it back, pull it out of the water, learn, um, you know, from that system post-flight. When we say soft touchdown on somewhere like Moon or Mars, you know, one or two meters per second. So, you know, kind of like jumping off a chair. It's it's pretty soft. Mm. Interesting. So, like, who at NASA comes up with this stuff? Who's like, you know what, I bet a giant inflatable is exactly what we need to stop the deceleration to Earth or Mars. So a number of the folks you just saw on that, uh, the video you showed at the start here um, from NASA Langley, you know, the, the concept of using an inflatable structure uh, to significantly increase our down mass somewhere like Mars, you know, how, if I'm limited by what the rocket, you know, the, how wide the rocket is, how can I do better? You know, that's where this comes from. And, you know, the idea is, you know, 15 plus years old, uh, and this is going to be our our third flight um, of this technology. But like the video said, it's going to be the largest vehicle um, heat shield of its kind that that we will have flown anywhere. So it's pretty exciting. That is that is really cool. So uh, Alton, I noticed in the videos there watching this that there is a um, a data recorder that is ejected at some point during this. What what is that gathering? What is the data there used for? That's correct. Uh, so that. Essentially, in the post-flight is going to be probably the most important um, component we have. What we're doing there is all the instrumentation on board. Uh, we're going to be recording everything that we have um, that comes from temperatures, pressures, um, any any other flight data that we might have. Essentially, that is uh, which I guess what you would consider our, our black box, right? If anything happens, we can still recover that, and that'll have all the information and science data that we want from this this mission so that we can further this technology. What are the logistics behind getting this payload up to space? I think you're nearing launch time. It's uh, it should be pretty soon from now, if I'm not mistaken. What do you have to get together and what does that launch look like? Alton, so do you want to take launch, that 
Yep. Yep. Thanks. The the launch is um is actually scheduled for November first. So we're we're right there. Uh, what we're doing here is uh, we have a ride share with ULA. So um, essentially, we are tagging along for this project. We needed to find a space, essentially space and weight for where we could fit our technology and it wouldn't affect the project. And there was already um, the accessibility. So we're using a, a ULA launch to, to put our technology on. And that is the portion of the logistics covered for the launch itself. Um, there are other portions which we covered for the most part um, for the testing leading up to this, um, especially when you think about the different uh, NASA centers involved uh, because we do portions of testing. Um, and, and the Goddard Space Flight Center, uh, where obviously we are, we're in uh, Vandenberg now, uh, doing, we did more testing there. The, the vehicle originates in, in Langley. There's other centers that are involved for much of the technology. Uh, and then the last part of the logistics really is going to be the recovery. Uh, we, we want that data recorder because that has all of our, our data on it, obviously. And, and we're going to want the vehicle back as well because uh, we need to know how well the uh, the inflatable structure handled the flight itself because that is what the science is all about here. Um, so the recovery will be the last portion, and we have another team in place to do all that for you. So I'm curious now, uh, what happens if it works and what happens if it doesn't work, right? Like, what are the what are the next steps? Big success, you do A, uh, doesn't really work out, you go where? You know, so we're really optimistic, um, you know, and confident that it is going to work. Of course, you know, things do happen. Um, you know, we do a lot of testing in the ground. We do you know, testing with different components. We do testing of the integrated system, you know, so we will be getting some amount of data during the flight itself. You know, the whole thing start to finish from when the rocket launches until our splashdown takes about two hours. So we will be receiving data um, kind of all, all during that time that will give us a, a sense of how things are going, um, you know, during kind of each phase of the mission. So it's not all, all dependent on getting, getting everything back uh, but where do we go from here? Um, like I said, this will be our third our third flight, um, and our partners at ULA uh, want to scale this system up. This one is six meters in diameter; it's about twenty feet. Uh, we need to get to twelve to fourteen meters is Whoa. is the next goal. You're looking at sixteen meters or a little bit larger to put you know payloads down on Mars that can support human Mars exploration. So, continuing to invest in our supply chain, you know, a lot of, of custom very specialized um, skills and equipment are, are needed to manufacture the thermal protection system and a lot of that structure. Um, so, you know, making sure that that supply chain is going to be there um, as well as continuing tackling challenges of, of making really, really large structures. How is it managing the supply chain for a project like this and procuring uh, parts? I guess they're so specialized, right? Are there most, they must be like made to order, right? I would say, yeah, these, these are absolutely made to order, right? You know, we work with a lot of small companies, um, a, a company up in New England, Jackson Bond, that, that focus on weaving technologies. You know, that's a this is a very specialized um, specialized process. So making sure that we, you know, we're building prototypes, we're, we're challenging our, our processes there and just making sure that those supply chains are going to be there and the experience to, to use those uh, is something that we're going to be able to rely on for, for years to come. 
By the way, we would be remiss not to ask uh, my fellow Tyrannosaurus, this project here, I believe it actually has a story behind it too, doesn't it? This is almost a dedication to someone. That's right. Uh, it's uh, Bernard Cutter. Um, I don't know that there, it may have been in the video. It may have not. We have one of our panels um, that has his name on it. He was uh, really one of the, uh, one of the pushing driving forces behind developing this technology in, in any space technology um, to get humans to space. Uh, and there's a nice dedication video. Maybe we can uh, find it and get it to you guys. It basically talks about how he really pushed uh, not only this, but again, all, all space technology to get humans into space and, and further space exploration for uh, technology advancement. Wow. So, so Ashley, you talked about all the other uh, testing that goes on, and I'm interested, what is the confidence level in a piece of technology like this before you spend the money to shoot it up and, and test it? And how many ideas never make it off the drawing board where it's just shot down early? Um, there are so many ideas, right? You know, there's a lot of sitting in a conference room, brainstorming, you know, lev looking at what we've done in the past and saying, hey, we want to change a bunch of things. Um, we want to challenge the system. It is a test, right? So the entire purpose of this is to push the system uh, harder, push it further, maybe have less margins um, than you would have on something that, you know, that is going to be that that final flight product. Um, but there, there's a pretty high degree of confidence. NASA is very good at you know, what we call verification and validation. And we do, we do all the, this testing and the, the buildup and the analysis kind of from step one to step 300, you know, and, and everything in between. We are challenging ourselves to find the holes, find the gaps, break things so that we learn from them. You know, so our, by the time we get to integration and flight, um, our, our confidence and our record of success is pretty darn good. You know, that's what I love about the ethos of NASA. Run fast, break things, smart people with great attitudes who are out here always trying to solve problems. It reminds me of like in that movie, the, uh, the Matt Damon one where they're in Mars, right? And it's just like they're always just thinking through the problem and doing the, uh, doing the math. What is the biggest problem you've had to overcome so far, though? That's a well, good question. Alton, uh, you I, something in testing? I, yeah, I think, uh, I mean, you, you've covered it fairly well, but it goes to to the testing. Um, you know, we have uh, the, the, the fact that it, we're inflating this aeroshell. Uh, it's it's not quite the same as inflating it on, on the surface of Earth because we'll be in that, in the, 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 the Earth atmosphere. Uh, so we're going to have to, we have to, actually, this is a great, that's our complete systems test. Um, and you can see that, you know, the air shell deployed. Now it's inflating. Um, but this test here is is our verification that everything is working correctly. And the build up to that is is almost as great as the build up to the launch. Obviously, the launch will be integrated with the entire payload. So it's a little bit different. But the fact that we get to see our technology up close um, in the environment we expect and verifying that we get all the data that we expect because you can run calculations all day, but you have to be able to prove that those are correct. And, and when you do this test, that's that point. Yeah. I imagine uh, the PSI at end of inflation is a bit different uh, at, at 50,000 feet than it is here on the surface of earth or 50 miles or whatever it happens to be where you're deploying this thing. Uh, what kind of uh, technology do you anticipate or how could this possibly benefit those of us here on earth? 
NASA brings so many different things uh, to us here, baby wipes included, uh, Dooner. Uh, so are you anticipating any of that? Yeah, so uh, we there, have... Um, there are a lot of tech spinoffs. Alton, you want to talk about one of them? Go for it. Yeah, yeah sorry. Uh, we, no, the inflatable air shell itself will be will be uh, upscaled, we hope, right? We're going to make a, a much larger size that so we'll be able to uh, handle more mass. Um, but then also... Uh, as the video, the pre, the first video showed that heating that we have a heat shield on there, and that heat shield technology uh, has already been used and developed uh, for other applications. Um, as you'll see, when it heats, you know that's it's generating quite a bit of heat. As we, as I mentioned before, it can withstand roughly three thousand degrees Fahrenheit, and in that, that technology was used um, to develop uh, experimental fire shelters, and so they they used a controlled forest fire and built a shelter with this uh, technology and demonstrated that it could, it could work and protect, you know, whether it be people equipment from a fire to a certain extent. And so uh, the technology is already affecting uh, us here on earth. Ashley, I'm curious now, uh, what's your favorite? Cause I, I, the idea of NASA, it's such a dream job, such an aspirational job to some people. What has been your favorite moment or story at NASA so far? Um, let's see. Uh, I am I am so looking forward to this flight. I know it's yeah. going to be in the wee hours of the morning. Launches like uh, window opens at two twenty five a.m. Pacific. You know, coming up uh, this Tuesday, November first. You know, that's absolutely going to rank uh, really far up there. Um, but I had the opportunity to to lead the aerodynamics for the twenty eighteen Insight Mars lander. Um, and that, that feeling of getting those first pictures back from something you've landed on another planet, um, and you know that, that <laughs> yeah. you've delivered science that's going to help us understand, uh, you know, really a lot about how the earth works as well. Um, you know, that, that's really probably been the, the coolest feeling I've had to date is, is that landing on Mars. But I think Tuesday is going to be, Tuesday is going to be right up there. I mean, those right. are some vacation photos, right? <laughs> be able to like, yeah, I got yeah, 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 this is what I did on my vacation. <laughs> well, yeah. How about you, Alton? What about yourself? Yeah, I, I would say this launch is pr honestly probably going to be the top, right? This is the um, the first night launch, and so I, I think that's going to be a very different experience. Uh, it's um, in this in this area over here in California. Um, the one thing I'll say is, you know, there's there's a usually a, a decent um, fog in the area, so I'm interested to see how how the fog plays a role and how how we see the ignition and, and takeoff. Yeah, so I'm curious, Aston, have you ever used the, uh, or Alton, have you ever used the uh, phrase, we're just going to have to science the S out of this? <laughs> no, no. It sure feels like um, that sometimes, I, though, yeah, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, I, I, I wish there had been an application uh, for that, but no, I, I have not. <laughs> it's a great line. Yeah. It's a great line. Well, and before we let you go, we are always curious. Favorite space movie and most realistic space movie, Ashley? Ooh, probably The Martian. Um, yeah. And it's yeah. it's remarkably realistic, too. I know it was, you know, if you work Mars stuff, you're just you're kind of pulled in and you're you're with it the whole way. So I'm going to I'm going to go with Mark Watney's Adventures in the Martian. Wow. Nice. nice. Alton, do you agree? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, you just gave us the quote there. So that that, <laughs> that the recent yeah. bias as well, I suppose. But no, that was that was a great movie. Excellent. So Moonfall, not that accurate. Oh, <laughs> um, well, I, I don't 
I don't know that we can put any science to that one. So Jason X. Say probably not. <laughs> That's all right. Sometimes on Earth, we just need entertainment to get us by. We really appreciate right. it, though. You know, our huge event is launching on November 1st. Your big uh, moment is launching. So we're both going to have great days on November 1st. We're wishing the best for you. You wish the best for us. Amen. And uh, take care. Thank you so much for coming on today. All right. Thank you both. This was fun. Take care. Oh, I forgot to thank them for uh, shooting, diverting that asteroid that was coming towards Earth. That was, I almost cried with my family. <laughs> it was, <laughs> the test? Yeah, of course. Did, yeah, that was very cool. That was really big. That was. That was huge. Well, hey, this dog over here was enjoying Halloween early. What? Resource after graduating from coding boot camp, were there any particular uh, communities on Reddit or subreddits? <laughs> Trick or treat. <laughs> you can't leave the doggy with all that. No, that dog's going to eat that sandwich every day of the week. All right, it's a little Halloween good news, <laughs> bad news. <laughs> Good news. Yeah. All right. Let's see what's going down. All right. So we've been talking a lot about inflation, Michael Vincent. By the way, I booked my van to Boston for near the end of December, and it was half as much as last year. Oh, so good. Deflation. Inflation's all over the place. Look at pumpkins right here. Michael Vincent, 2019, a pumpkin would have cost you $4.10. Do you know what a pumpkin will cost you in 2022? I do. Am I allowed to know? $5.40? Is that what I said? $5.40. Quite the jump. It is. I think, uh, I don't know. We're subsidizing something, I think. I think we are. You know, I I always go this. So, like, out here in Chattanooga, there's this roadside place that has pumpkins, and then there's Aldi right down the street. Yeah. And I went to the roadside place, and they were, like, exorbitant prices on pumpkins. They were more than boutique. Those are boutique uh, uh, pumpkins. They look like they're erotic. So, we just went over to Aldi, and they're, like, 99 (laughs) cents a pumpkin at Aldi. So, if uh, you really want to get a good pumpkin for cheap, just head over to just head over to Aldi. All right. I mean, just don't buy the organic ones. That's, you know. Here's some it. more numbers, though. Spending this year on uh, Halloween is a little, a little hard to see out of my dinosaur <laughs> here. So I might have to skip that. But it's, it's up. It's all-time high oh, in dude, there. It was like 10.6 billion. Yeah, so from 10.4. So huge. But inflation and the, the cost of candy, which is up this year, could mean that you're not buying as much candy, though. Like, less volume of candy is being sold, slightly less, but it's earning more money right it yeah is. it is more yeah but yeah because the cost is up there right the volume is not more it's the cost right like inflation has been all right a little trivia at home total oh. expected spending which one do you think will be higher will it be decorations candy or costumes oh should i guess yes uh i, I was gonna guess earlier yet it's candy no it's costumes 3.6 billion wow. then you have candy at 3.4 billion and 3.1 billion was uh, the decorations wow see people are starting to recognize that that candy corn is nasty yeah, yeah, well, <laughs> you would think but then Uh-oh. i have what? this right here and this what? is from candystore.com and it is the yeah. top 10 halloween candies as voted yeah. across america number one no surprise peanut butter cups we got the Skittles, the M&Ms, we got Starburst, Hot Tamales, Sour Patch Kids, Hershey Kisses, Snickers, Tootsie Bobs, and at number 10, Candy Corn. Candy Corn made the top 10? How? What is that? Why? Is, uh, wow. Unbelievable. I, 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 um, I question the methodology. Let's look at a scary <laughs> trucking clip at the rest Ooh, stop. I like it. Drivers out there late at night. Here's Whoa. that scream. Yeah, yeah. What do you do? I lock myself back in the cab. You know, I, I do that trick where you put the seatbelt around the door handle. Yeah, yeah, close yeah. Close no, all the curtains. I'm putting up the curtains. I'm turning it off and pretending I'm not there. Yeah, for you, sure. You got that another scary story eaten. for us? 
That was like somebody being eaten by the dog man in Michigan. Did that Tell come me about from this dog man. What? Tell me about this dog man. Oh, I well, I wasn't planning on to, but I will because I, I spilled it out there. The dog man is unbelievable. So this, he's in he's in uh, nowhere, Michigan, which there's a lot of nowhere, Michigan. Drivers driving across Michigan late at night, and he has an air leak, so he pulls over to the side of the road, right? And he's checking out this air leak. He starts to feel uncomfortable about what is going on. The the the, the vibe from the woods is just not cool, right? So he gets in back into his truck, and just as he's starting to pull away you know, gaining speed, boom, he looks in his rearview mirror and there's a wolf following him, trotting alongside with yellow eyes that are intelligent. And it's trotting on just two legs and it's coming towards him. And this is, here's the creepy part. It's bending down in order to see inside of his cab. That's how tall this thing is. So he freaks out. He doesn't pull his phone and take a picture of this. Of course not, because he's an avid big Bigfoot hunter, and he knows never take a picture for evidence. So he reaches down, and what's ready? His 45 caliber automatic pistol's ready. He sticks it out the window and shoots him right in the eye. Pow! You're supposed to fall over. Oh, he'll never get up if he falls over. But pow! He shoots him right in the eye. And then he falls off to the side of the road. He takes off. He turns around and comes back. And guess what? It's not there, my friend. It is not there. Just like Voorhees, he does not die. He's out there. Watch out driving up across the UP. He may even be in the south side. He may be near Alpena. You never know. Watch out. Wow. Dog I, man of Michigan. I tried to run away. I didn't even, I, 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 I realized I wasn't done with the show. You're though. not nearly as fast as a wolf, my friend. I'm not. Well, this tail kind of holds you back, but you can whip pretty well with it. <laughs> hey, want to see a cool semi? This is of driver Ira Forbes, Wicked Intent. Yes. You merely adopted the dark. Ooh. Oh, I yeah. was born in it. Wow. <laughs> what do you think? Would you roll in that or would you roll in the Maxim Overdrive truck? Let's take a look at that one. I love the eyes that, they, that this gentleman put on here. That's uh, Nate Lawrence's semi. It's badass. I, I, I would get my picture taken with uh, the uh, maximum overdrive truck, the heavy loads. Yeah. But I'd roll in the other one. Well, like because the zombie apocalypse comes or yeah, like an aftermath yeah, 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 yeah. of, uh, uh, you know, World War Three. Well, what if you were in this situation where you're driving along and it's in the middle of the night, you're doing a meet and greet. We used to call them buttheads back in the day uh, before Beavis and Butthead, where you drive out and you meet another driver, you swap loads. Right. And you get there, say, an hour early. It's happened to this driver, middle of the night. He gets there an hour early, so he says, you know what, I'm going to take a nap. Except there's this dog barking incessantly, will not shut up. He tries to ignore it, but this dog needs his attention in the absolute worst way. It starts to growl and get scary, and even more, he's barking. It sounded like you. Yeah, exactly. That's it. That's exactly it. He looks out his window. He doesn't see a dog. He sees a six-foot a 270-pound behemoth of a man who is growling and barking at him like a dog foaming at the mouth he is. He reaches down. He doesn't have a 45. he He's got his keys, so he starts his truck, and he drives off. Never again will he visit that parking lot. What do you think about that, Dooner? That was pretty scary. What do you think about this? The show's almost over. Y'all got to come to F3. Oh, it's do. almost Halloween. Find me on Twitter at Timothy Dooner. Find him at Vincent the Dude. You guys hit the music. 
send us out of your camera credit. We're going to box ourselves off oh. air. Come on oh. over here, buddy. All right. Yeah. Rock Let's go. Style. <laughs> I don't even know how much time's left in the show. I can't see the clock. Get out of here. Get out of my face. Oh. Oh. Tell him. Next week, no show Monday, three show Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday.